0: Welcome and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. We continue our series on the core values of First Pres. Today, we learn about one aspect of being a follower of Christ that will bless us back over and over. Here's First Pres Senior Pastor Dan Chun with the sermon, Do Something Beautiful for
1: God. This morning, we're going to delve into our church's core value. Of service. If you take the first letter of each of the five core values it forms the word paths and these core values lead us down the paths to not only a healthy church but a wonderful intimate refreshing life with Jesus. So what does paths stand for? Yeah you have hopefully memorized it by now but we have a lot of newcomers so here it comes. P stands for presence. A stands for what? Authenticity. T stands for thoughtfulness, H stands for humility, and S stands for service. And these are the values we are striving for, they are goals to aim to live by. Imagine a community, how healthy it would be if we were a people who would always seek God's presence and be authentic and real with one another and humble and thoughtful. Our church would be so healthy and refreshing and safe. You couldn't build a door big enough to receive all the people who would seek out that kind of humble, authentic, thoughtful, seekers of God presence in community. So now, we come to the core value of service. Why did our staff and elders choose service to be added to the list of core values we seek? Imagine this, an equilateral triangle that represents a church in one corner, we have the word social. Church should be a social place, friendly, lots of fellowship. Right now we are hindered in terms of in-person fellowship, though we actually compensate with a lot of Zoom fellowship gatherings and life groups and men's fellowship. Alpha just show up, rooted the Acts to Revelation class, the J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis class. And then there are the youth groups, the moms groups, the vintage groups for seniors. They are fun and informative, and in some case, laughter provoking. And that's not even including the staff trying to phone call every member of the church. It's social fellowship all over the place, plus the brand new Donuts with Dan meetings where people sign up just to hang out and fellowship with me. Clearly a great deal. Donuts with Dan is a holy time. Get it? Holy, yeah, dead humor. Dead humor. It's it's not a time that our eyes glaze over. It's not a time where I sugarcoat the truth of what our church is about. And the dough we talk about is not the dough, a deer, a female deer, but the dough of how our church bakes our ministries. We talk about the ingredients of how First Prez runs so that you can have fun and eat your cake too. It's low-carb, gluten-free, got abundant fun, and you can sign up today as I'm having another Donuts with Dan today in the afternoon at 2 p.m. Check out the link. So, a church in one corner of the triangle should have great fellowship and be social. But as we look in another corner, we see the word spiritual. Well, duh, church should be a spiritual place. We talk about and live for our Heavenly Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We want to experience God's presence, often supernaturally, mystically. We are Christ followers. Early next year, grief share and divorce care will be starting again, and that's an emotional and spiritual walk. Okay, so don't need to talk too much about that corner as that is obvious for a church. But then we come to one more corner that makes a strong equilateral triangle, a foundation of a healthy church, and that is service. A healthy church full of nutrients that give us endurance and hope and purpose must have service there. Without service, a church becomes insular, provincial, only focused about itself, only on the inward journey and not an outward journey. A church without a service component can become exclusive, selfish, self-centered. It doesn't fight for justice for others. Hence, a healthy church is balanced, spiritual, social, service-oriented. Think of it like three wheels on a tricycle. You know, you take one away and you can't ride it. Or if you have one wheel stuck in the sand, you can't move. You need all three, spiritual, social, service. That's why we have said that if you choose to become a member of our church, we call you a covenant partner. You make a promise, a covenant, to partner with us in service. To be a Christian who is part of a church is not like Costco where you just go in and buy and take. No, church is more like a a co-op. In co-op supermarkets, everyone works. If you're a member of a co-op, you help out as a stock person, cashier, janitor, or a driver, whatever the need. Everyone plays a role in making the co-op successful. And then you have the privilege of saying, you belong to a co-op. When I personally shop at a co-op, I'm not a member, so I just shop and take. But if I were a co-op partner, I would serve. Same with the church. Everyone serves to make the church run well. But we don't just serve the inside of a church, we use the church as a base of operations to also serve the outside world. To help the houseless, the poor, the emotional weary or abused. If you are truly a follower of Jesus, there should be a strong sense of service in you. Now maybe for some there is a sense of service but it's like an unused muscle that needs more exercising and then that's okay as long as we are in the process of learning to serve as Jesus did. Service should always be the mark of a follower of Jesus because the real essence of of Jesus was a servant. Did you know the word serve or service is seen in the Bible more than 300 times? Not only in terms of serving the Lord, but in serving people. And when it comes to Jesus, service is what he's all about. You know, in the Bible, there are four narratives about Jesus. They're called the gospels, meaning good news. The good news that Jesus, who is God, has come to earth and they explain why he has come to earth. Check out this verse in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark ten forty-five, for even the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite phrase for himself, came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's our model if we live for Jesus. We want to serve others as he did. To be a Christian is to be in his majesty's service. In the Gospel of John is an incredible true story. It's the night of Jesus' last week on earth before He died, and He knew He was about to leave His disciples. He wanted to re-emphasize one more critically important lesson. It was to be a major audio, visual, kinesthetic mentoring time. He gathered them in a room, and this is what happened just before dinner. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he'd come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, and then drying them with the towel he had around him. When when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you gonna wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. And then Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you, disciples, are clean, but not all of you, for Jesus knew who would betray him. Uh, That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Now, did you catch that last verse? If you know these things, God will bless you but not for just knowing these things, not for thinking about things or just pondering about these things. No, God will bless you for doing these things. God will bless you, not that you know you should serve or you like to think about serving, but no, he blesses you in life for actually doing it, serving. Do we realize how crazy this scene is? the God of the universe, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Almighty God, gets down, takes off His robe, gets a towel around His waist and washes the dirty, smelly, stinky feet of His followers, maybe cake with dirt, dung, or slime. God gets down, dirty, and washes the feet like a slave. He's the master of the universe, and we people are His servants, and He says a servant is not above his or her master, so if the master serves like this, then why do we think we get a pass? Now, I understand for some right now, it might not be a good season for serving outside of our friends and family. Maybe being a caregiver is taking a lot of, of your time or um, you're a parent with very young children at home and there are seasons that it's hard to serve the community because we have to serve a family member, let's say. And so I get it. But for others, not in that situation, hopefully we will never say, hey, my life is hard, so I cannot ever serve others outside my circle. And just because we're going through pain or busyness, it doesn't mean we get a pass from helping others in pain. It's like the man who said, well, I'm a young adult and I'm starting my career, and but after it gets going, I will serve my community. But then he gets promoted and doesn't serve. And then he gets married and he says, hey, I need to build up the foundation of my marriage. And after that, then I'll serve my community. And then he has children and he says, well, when they they go off to college, then I will serve. And then he rises to a managing position of seniority and he says, when I'm more established, then I will serve. And then years later, he says, well, when I retire, I will then serve my community. And then he retires and he says, oh, I deserve to rest after a life of hard work, so I can't serve the community. I just want to see the world. I need to work at my house. I, too bad I'm just one of those busy people. And hey, I have grandkids, so I just want to spend time with them. It evolves into a life of no or little service. But you ask, how can we survive all of life's pain and disappointment and despair and still serve? We will survive because God will minister to us through the Holy Spirit as we serve and see the pain we all experience. His plan A is that we are to be the instruments of His care for people because we have the hearts to serve one another in Jesus' name. There is no plan B. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world in Jesus' name. In serving, God will bless us and give us more joy in life. Service is supposed to be our our second nature to help people, and if possible, lead them into the presence of Jesus. When we celebrate the fact that many on the front lines of healthcare today those nurses and doctors and technicians who are serving sacrificially, we need to know that they are doing what the early Christians did in times of sickness or pestilence or plague. In the early centuries after the church was born, when there was a disease spreading and literally killing off the city, but the affluent, the privileged, could afford to flee for their lives, yet incredulously, the Christians would remain and serve them in sacrificial love, and and they would sometimes catch the disease and die. In the second century, there was a plague called the Antonine Plague, where a quarter of the Roman Empire died, but Christians stayed to care for the sick. Then there was the plague of Cyprian, named for a bishop who wrote about it. It was an, a, an Ebola-like disease during the third century, and Christians were de- described like this by a bishop named uh, Dionysius, who wrote, quote, heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick attending to their every need, Unquote. Is it any wonder that Christianity exploded during this time as people saw their service? A century later, the pagan emperor Julian noticed how Christians cared for even non-Christians who were ill. And church historian uh, Pontianus recounted how Christians ensured that, quote, good was done to all men, not merely to the household of faith. Unquote. Later, in 1527, when the bubonic plague descended on Wittenberg, Uh, Martin Luther could have chosen to flee the town and protect himself. Instead, he stayed to minister to the ill and deceased. It cost his, his daughter Elizabeth's life. And over the centuries, and maybe you today, people were stunned about the ministry of the Christian service. Why would these people do it? And the Christians would reply that we are followers of this man Jesus, He once sacrificed his life to save us. We'll never forget that. And that's how we roll, service. Nobody had ever thought of doing that kind of thing before. No wonder the gospel spread, even when the Romans were doing their best to stamp it out. This kind of sacrificial love that said, we are our brother's keeper was transformative. Perhaps unlike today, the Christian's faith was not used to protect themselves but to help others. If we truly are followers of Jesus, service, sacrificial service, paying it forward, helping society is what we Christians have always been about and should be about. And if we don't serve the community, literally all hell breaks out. Christians need to serve. Now what do I mean all hell can break out? I'm reminded of a quote from Pastor Martin uh, Niemöller, who lived in the 1930s in Germany. And here's what he said. First they came for the Jews, but I did nothing because I'm not a Jew. Then they came for the Socialists, but I did nothing because I'm not a Socialist. Then they came for the Catholics, but I did nothing because I'm not a Catholic. Finally, they came for me, but by then, there was no one left to help me." Pastor Martin Niemöller. The British theologian writer N.T. Wright, in his book, God and the Pandemic, says this in response to the present coronavirus siege on our world. He wrote, Actually, the best answer I've heard in the last few weeks has not been to the question why, It's been to the question, what? What can we do? In the United Kingdom, the government asked for volunteers to help the National Health Service with all the extra urgent non-specialist tasks. Half a million people signed up. The fascinating thing is that much of the world has picked up the hint. As the historian Tom Holland has argued in his recent book, Dominion, much of what we take for granted in social attitudes now was Christian innovation. The ancient pagans didn't do it like that. Medicine cost money, so did education, and the poor were poor, so people assumed because they were lazy or unlucky. It wasn't society's job to look after them. The Christians disagreed. They picked up their rule of life from the Jews via Jesus, of course. The Jews had those texts, those scriptures, scriptures who had kept on circling back to belief that there was one God who had a special concern for the poor, the sick, the outcasts, the slaves. The words of N.T. Wright. In this last century, we've had our own models of saints who have served. You know, as you know, Pam and I lead a ministry to bring some of the finest speakers in the world to Hawaii at the Hawaiian Islands Ministries uh, conference, or as it's known as the Hymn Conference. When we pray to select a speaker we choose someone we feel is God's choice and would be awesome for her or him to come. We don't like getting rejection letters. But once we got a rejection letter that I will always cherish it's in my safety deposit box. One year, in 1994, we got a letter. It was postmarked, June 9, two months before I became senior pastor here. And you could tell it was written on some dilapidated typewriter way before computers, a kind that was probably 17 pounds heavy, like an old Smith Corona. When I saw the return address, my heart dropped. Oh my, she got our invite letter, and this is her response. She actually wrote us. The return address was Missionaries of Charity. 54 backslash A, AJC Bose Road, Calcutta. 700016 India. Oh my. Not her. Yes, her. Mother Teresa had written to me, and she used a World Cup soccer stamp. How cool is that? But it's sideways. When I opened it, I saw this typewritten letter that said, Dear Dan Chun, she wrote my name, yes. Thank you for inviting me to speak at Hawaiian Islands Ministries, Honolulu 95. I've just returned from visiting our houses abroad and so the delay. I'm sorry to have to disappoint you, but it's not possible for me to come. However, be assured of my prayers for you, for you all at the conference, that it may be a success for the greater glory of God and his church. Let us grow more and more in the likeness of Christ through love and compassion and so become an instrument of peace, love, and joy to all. God bless you. Mother Teresa. It was the most beautiful rejection letter I had ever received. She was so humble that she even signed it. Tony Campolo told me that she really signs her letters, though I knew she, she got so many letters to reply to from all over the world. The letter is in my safe deposit box. Years ago, the Antique Roadshow appraised a signed Mother Teresa letter for $1, 1997 at $1,500. But that's not why I treasure it. Actually, today she's not a mother, she has been canonized. She's a Catholic saint. Saint Teresa, Saint Teresa of Calcutta. And him and I have been personally blessed and challenged in writing by a saint to grow more and more in the likeness of Christ in compassion and love why I feel like I've been ordained by Saint Teresa but why do I seriously bring her up today the reasons gonna shock you hang on it's important in a moment if you read the biographies you will see that this this Short Albanian woman stood tall in her faith and humility in her service where she challenged people to do something beautiful for God, which is the title of the sermon. Can you do something beautiful for God with your life? And that's the takeaway question for you at home and for anyone who wants to join our digital sermon discussion groups right after this service. No one would disagree that Mother Teresa lived a life of service and even if you disagree with her stance on being against abortion or asking people for total devotion to God, you could not disagree that she lived a life of service as she worked with the the sick and the dying and the forgotten outcasts and the poorest of the poor. She walked the talk. But I bring up Saint Teresa today because the amazing thing is that if you read her life story, you would see that she had tremendous depression and even doubts of whether God was present with her. Saint Teresa? Really? Here's some of her doubts that she battled for more than 50 years. In 1979, she received the Nobel Peace Prize, but just three months earlier, she wrote to a priest of her doubts and depression. These were letters that she wanted destroyed, but were kept by the Vatican and made available about 13 years ago. She wrote to the priest, quote, Jesus has a very special love for you, but as for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I, I look and do not see, listen and do not hear. The tongue moves in prayer, but not speak. I want you to pray for me that I, that I let him have A free hand. And she spoke of the, quote, dryness, darkness, loneliness, and torture she was undergoing. She compared her experience to hell and at one point wrote that she had driven, that it driven her to doubt the existence of heaven and even of God. She wrote, quote, the smile is a mask or a cloak that covers everything. And you may think, why would that be a good thing? Why didn't God take away that depression? Saint John of the Cross wrote even how he would at times feel, a quote, dark night of the soul. How could she possibly be our model of faith today? Here it comes. The answer is that if a person was racked with deep doubts, insecurity, and at times depression, wondering whether God was there, and if that person could still be used by God to do something beautiful, then you and I can still serve and do something beautiful too, as frail and failing and at times as unfaithful as we are. You see, you don't need to have your act 100% together. You don't need to be Superman or Superwoman. God takes us as we are with our doubts and despair, and our limping in our walk. But in His eyes, we are saints. And we can do something beautiful for God. By the way, jump on Hawaiian Islands Ministries webinar on October 17, Saturday, when we address the topic of what do we do when we feel God is on mute and is not hearing our prayers. Pete Gregg from England will be our guest. So check out the details at himonline.org backslash webinars. Already more than 200 people have signed up for it. I know what you do. may never get the recognition of like getting a Nobel Peace Prize. We may not be thanked in this life. But we are still called to service to what God is asking us to do. And so it's very important that I tell you one last thing to make this whole lesson complete. I was recently watching one of the greatest leadership movies I've ever seen. It's called Greyhound, starring Tom Hanks, just recently released on Apple TV. In fact, Tom Hanks wrote the script. Spoiler alert, I'm going to reveal some of the key scenes. It's the story of, of an American Navy captain played by Hanks during World War II's Battle of the Atlantic. And he's leading a multinational escort group. His assignment is to protect a convoy of 37 ships carrying desperately needed food supplies, oil, raw material, and troops across the English Channel to Liverpool, England. The danger is great because Nazi U-boats follow them in clusters or so-called wolf packs, and these submarines were highly successful in sinking supply and military ships during the war. Historically, in World War II, more than 3500 cargo ships were sunk by the Nazis. Tom Hanks' character on the destroyer with the handle Greyhound had to protect the convoy and get through a highly vulnerable area called the Black Pit, which had no protective air cover. In the movie, Tom Hanks plays a deeply devout Christian Navy captain who is on his very first command assignment. He's a rookie as a commander. And during his mission, the convoy is besieged with attack after attack. Will they get through all the way to England? So here comes a spoiler alert. So hit mute for a few minutes if you don't want to hear this. Just read my lips. The most touching moment for me was when the convoy appears safe as they approach England. As the captain heads back to his cabin to get some rest, after not sleeping or eating for several days, he hears some noise, and so he goes to the railing of his ship, and he realizes the distant sound is a passing troop ship, and the soldiers there are are cheering and thanking his boat through screams and the blinking messages of signal lights for keeping them safe. And then his own crew starts cheering back at the other ship, in essence saying boy, we celebrate with you we did our part do your part and while watching this scene i thought even though we may never be thanked in heaven that is what it will be like all the people we have helped will come up and say thanks and angels will be cheering too i imagine our church the good ship first Pres. Being that destroyer, trying to protect the thousands of people in our convoy, and us going to our cabin so tired from serving, and then comes that passing ship that was applauding. In my imagination, they were not troops. but it was, more, it was more than the 1,000 Compassion International kids you have sponsored. And they're cheering and saying thank you to this church, thank you for helping us by giving us food and clean water and safety in our neighborhoods and giving us a saving relationship and friendship with Jesus. Or maybe on that passing ship are those thousands in the past years who were houseless, poor, disenfranchised, the hurting and grieving are those who didn't know Jesus until you introduced them to our Lord. And now they're just screaming at the top of their lungs, thank you, thank you for helping us. And our ship of members are cheering back to them, it was our pleasure, go for it, have a great life, do what God has called you to do, do something beautiful for God. We have your back, we stand with you, That could be for every ministry you have chosen to serve in. And sometimes you wonder if it's worth it. You may not see the end results. But I tell you today, it's worth it. When the Hanks character finally gets to his cabin and is so tired, he kneels and prays to God before he goes to sleep. And just before he does that, you you may notice in the upper left corner, stuck to a post, just when he first walked in, there's a little card that says, Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's what our Lord taught us about service. It's eternal. We are called to protect those in the convoy, whoever is in our circle of influence. And when we serve, we may never see the rewards for our work. We may not get a Nobel Peace Prize. We may not get a Templeton Award or a Teacher of the Year Award or an Oscar. We may not get a Congressional Medal of Honor. But know that there's a crowd in heaven, a cloud of witnesses, who has seen your work and applauds and honors you. And Jesus himself is on his heavenly throne saying, well done, good and faithful servant. For I close with this verse from the Bible. Therefore, since so great a cloud of witnesses surround us, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance in the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding his shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. And now, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his grace and mercy be upon you, and his face shine on you, and his countenance be upon you. And may you know deep in your heart the wonderful love and service of the Lord. And may you feel compelled to serve others in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.
0: There is no better time to serve than now. We follow in Jesus' footsteps by serving Him and one another. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons From the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, normally we meet Sundays at our Ko'olau campus or at The Vine in Kaka'ako. But during this COVID season, you can find the entire church service streamed online on the church website, fpchawaii.org or thevinehonolulu.org. For our virtual church service, click the online church box at our regular church service times, Sunday morning at 8, 9.30, and 11.11 for First Pres, and Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. for The Vine. Be sure to check your email for links to sermons, church news and updates, and daily devotionals. If you have any questions or any needs, you can always reach the church through the website or just call 808 808- For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Pres, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2020 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.